0: Episode 2 is grudgingly sponsored by Spirits imitation fruit. Each bite leaves a lingering taste. Monsoon Jackson, Series 1. Episode 2, Backdrop. Despite their best efforts, the human race had managed to survive. Science found the solutions, most of the time. If science hadn't, it was generally because someone arbitrarily valued your life as of no importance. Example, Russia. Science had adverted extinction-level meteor strikes, while at the same time killing millions. Because providing access to clean water was, apparently, too complicated to fix. Countries kept going to war. Greed kept the few in luxury. The masses consumed junk food and reality shows, which kept them happy enough and able to avoid asking those questions that they knew, in the depths of their soul, they really should be asking. And so, the human race just kept on. The race for space had turned more into an obscenely expensive plot. But, like everything once considered impossible, the boffins eventually found a way. Humans slowly colonised, overcoming hostile and airless environments. Of course, the greed, fighting, and stupidity never went away. Just for now, it appeared we had evolved because... Well, because we had more and better shiny things. The poor remained on Earth. They were left with a climatically unstable planet that could kill them as much with drought as with flood. It was not somewhere you wanted to be these days, if you had the choice. For the majority who'd left it behind, they'd topped with thick, heavily laminated, rose-tinted glasses. The beauty of the mountains, the majesty of the sea, the splendour of the forest, the wonder of selective memory. Most of the mountains had been mined to within an inch of their being for materials, leaving them collapsed or dangerously leaning. The sea had been pillaged for every resource, leaving behind a dark sludge that slowly suffocated the remaining life deep below. The forest had long been cut down to sell to countries unable, ironically, to grow their own trees. Earth was a testament to getting it badly wrong. The only upside to this was that the colonised worlds generally lacked mountains, seas and forests, thus eliminating the risk humanity could repeat the same mistakes. But it would never be for want of trying. first successful colony set up camp on the Earth's moon. In the early days, the giant dome sprung leaks or sometimes fell apart altogether. It was not uncommon to be on your way there by transport craft and witness corpses floating past in the vacuum of space. Hardly something to put on the promotional literature. But time passed, and the kinks, the scientists often referred to certain death failures as kinks, were ironed out. After a while, the construction of the domes held fast and residents slowly stopped spending every waking moment panicking that they were definitely going to die. Shortly afterwards, the fast food chains moved in and suddenly everyone began to feel at home. It was then a short step to colonise places further away. Venus became an industrial planet, given how easy it was to melt things. Mars was used for long-term food production and storage with its freezer-like conditions but overall amiable temperature. The wealthy had pretty much bought up rights to Jupiter, their luxury units orbiting at just the right distance for a pleasing temperature. Saturn was ungraciously consigned to waste recycling. The size was able to hide endless human-made mountains. The frozen Uranus became an adventure zone for those looking to push their luck with extreme sports. Those with less made the best of what they could on Neptune. Pluto was designated the prison planet. Once inside the tunnels, escape was supposed to be impossible. From there, others moved on to the local moons, and in time, all of this became incredibly dull and commonplace. Food was grown, water recycled, and, more importantly, TV and movie streaming were provided. Eventually, clever technical people sorted out Wi-Fi, and with that, the effort to push on to achieve more and better things dissipated. Of course, behind closed doors, the rich engaged lawyers and mercenaries in attempts to acquire rights to the nearest Goldilocks planets but it would be some time before that succeeded. For now, the human race stretched out into the nearby solar system. Not so much a beacon of success and wonder as a race of ungrateful, easily bored children. In school, lessons were taught about how the human race used to all live on one planet. For a while, this seemed normal and agreeable. Over time, it became stupid and unreasonable. Different factions competing for your belief devised endless conspiracies about what had really happened. How various countries had been carrying out secret experiments on other planets years before anyone else had arrived. They found satellite images credibly showing buildings, never just shadows or rocks. They pointed out tracks, not just lines created from debris striking the surface... They even had interviews with people who'd definitely been involved in these clandestine missions. Naturally, councils denying these people had ever worked for them was pure cover-up. It was never just a loser using the opportunity to engineer a chance to be on the latest reality show. But then councils, as governments had before them, generally denied everything, regardless of whether it was true or not. On the rare occasions they did admit to things, you could be confident it was less damaging than the truth. For those who could not be bothered with all that, the realities of colonised living took a lot of adjustment. While not being able to visit the parents due to problems with the drive plate seemed ideal, the offset was hard. Everyone had welcomed automation during colonisation. Droids building the domes, planting the seeds, checking the plumbing, noting down the Wi-Fi password for when you forgot. But once that was completed, the droids were a cheap resource to carry on doing all the work. Droids didn't need healthcare or holidays. Droids wouldn't embarrass themselves at the office party. Droids were loyal and predictable. Droids made work hard to come by. At the same time, the respective councils made it very clear that benefits were a thing of the past. The money would be much better siphoned off. They meant, of course, much better redirected to supporting New World Living. What was meant by this was never clarified although most council members quickly purchased second homes. Despite the protests, their view remained firm. If you could afford to leave Earth, you could afford to live. Conveniently, there were jobs considered too dangerous, or, as public relations called it, challenging for the droids. In general, the most common were mineral mining, waste management, council bureaucracy, leisure and policing. There remained a military because it was human nature to waste money on that pointless merry-go-round. The military, though, now spent most of their time in what was deemed research. This was mainly because the logistics and expense of conducting war with someone millions of miles away just felt a bit unnecessary, even to them. Mining was well paid on the basis that most miners had a short career. Waste management on a solar scale was messy, and you could never quite wash the smell off. Council bureaucracy was form-filling that only the most soulless and characterless people would be allowed to undertake. Leisure was safe and low-risk, although the endless parade of gurning simpletons enjoying themselves while you worked did take its toll. Policing, while often considered the best option due to the pension, did come with other people wanting to kill you and your family. Disappointingly, the first successful project after colonisation was building a prison. As the most distant planet, it had been agreed that Pluto was the most likely to be attacked first by aliens. Given prisoners were expendable, this made it an ideal choice as the prison. A huge underground complex was built, dividing the population by severity of crime. In essence, the nearer to the surface you were, the less time you had to serve. A low escape was not ruled out. Stepping onto the planet's surface was considered fatal enough to put all but the most foolish off the prisoners would be transported by small pods from craft orbiting Pluto. Should anyone manage to get into one of the returning pods without permission, the pod would self-destruct. There were rumours pods were sometimes blown apart just as a reminder rather than from evidence of escape. While some effort was made to stem corruption, it had not been unknown for prison transport employees to be involved in schemes and jailbreaks. However, when the rules changed that anyone assisting a jailbreak would be placed into the lower levels the lure of money was suddenly not enough. The decision to avoid placing cameras in the lower zones was not budgetary. It was just that the councils felt sometimes things were better left to sort themselves out. Several years after colonisation... Mars surprised everyone by being the first to offer a giant holiday theme park. From the stories that old people kept on telling, regardless or not if anyone had asked, Mars had killer aliens on it. To their credit, Mars did make use of metallic tripods and large glass helmets in their park. They were not without a sense of humour. The logistics of getting to Mars, adjusting to Mars, finding food you liked on Mars, and finally queuing for hours to ride the stupid overpriced rides was a struggle to start with. It came as a surprise that people were not that keen on travelling, given how recent colonisation was in human history. Fortunately, creative advertising, cute mascots, special offers and a gigantic pile of tat at the concession stands soon overcame the inertia. The theme park brought in a huge tourist trade. Inevitably, other colonies embarked on their own holiday centres, but they would never quite match up to this first. Saturn had the ignoble job of processing waste. In the early days, they'd attempted to hide most of it below the surface, but this rapidly became untenable. This meant innovative solutions were sought beyond simply lifting the carpet up and sweeping it under. An interesting spin-off from the innovations was that you were never quite sure if molecules of the fork you were using or the clothing you had put on had, at some point, been consumed or excreted by someone else. It was better not to think about it. The downside of colonisation was that the number of humans rapidly continued to rise. The all-consuming human. Consuming food, drink and media like a locust. Where was the next shiny thing? How could this new washing liquid possibly be better than the last one? You already said it was the best. Why had it almost been a month since the last phone model was brought out? What was the next evolution in gaming? How many ways could the same game be repackaged? Was it time to milk the retro cash cow again? When would the lowest common denominator of TV show be reached? Every time you thought the depths had been plumbed, an executive would find a new nadir. The human being, considering itself the pinnacle of evolution, despite all evidence to the contrary. However, like every good plague, like every good virus, humanity stayed in control. Everything else either had to submit or be eradicated. Some had attempted to prevent serial colonisation, claiming that we first needed to sustain one home before moving on. They, of course, had been shouted down. What did they know? Like a cloud of locusts, consume, destroy, move on. Never look back. Everything. It's fine. The Council of Uranus were the first to admit a problem with serious crime. And by admit, it was leaked footage in the hands of a propaganda expert from another homeworld. Crime had not ceased. Anywhere. Obviously. But each new homeworld was keen to pretend everything was awesome, and indeed much better than any other colonised homeworld. Public relation companies made yet another fortune in glossing over the facts. Lawyers made even more, keeping jurisdictional headaches spinning and allowing killers to walk free. Once this news had broken, it did not take the other homeworlds long to see an advantage in working together. Rather than have to admit later, they had the same problem. The colony councils came together. Then, about two years later, when they had stopped bickering about which homeworld was the best place to host the meeting, they actually met. They met on a spacecraft that had been specially programmed to absolutely spend the exact same amount of time flying past each homeworld. Once the refreshments had been exhausted and replenished several times, most of the councils agreed they needed some form of police force that could operate freely across all jurisdictions. Following this meeting, the lawyers made themselves even more obscenely wealthy arguing over definitions of jurisdiction, sentencing, imprisonment and anything else they could milk. A few years later, after the public relations companies had extracted every last coin from the coffers, the solar force was created. Some still wanted Solar System Police Force, but it didn't take too much imagination to consider SS Police Force as having PR issues. The Solar Force recruited across all homeworlds, not so much for the best of the best, but more for those willing to travel, spend weeks away from home, and sometimes being able to act by putting their moral compass away. Deep, deep down into a deep pocket. Monsoon Jackson had made the mistake of not reading the terms and conditions. The money was good, the pension and healthcare was good. The uniform was quite dapper and they offered a decent number of days off. But the time away and needing to make questionable decisions on a regular basis had proven less thrilling than expected. On the upside, there was no paperwork. The automated implant in his arm would track and record everything. This was, of course, to ensure justice was observed. Although, the implants were known to randomly glitch. Or be switched off, as it could be called. Nonetheless, Monsoon had risen quickly through the ranks. It wasn't that hard at the beginning. There were so many wannabe cowboys who wet themselves during the first firefight. Monsoon quickly became known for getting results. This, of course, meant bending the rules or taking bribes from time to time. But all for the greater good. Or, sometimes, because it made more sense. Justice was all very well in theory, but harder to apply when other people were definitely doing all they could to kill you he'd made good contacts in the underbelly. Some of them genuinely believed he was corrupt, which always worked in his favour. In truth, he was there to get a job done and would use whatever tactic he wanted. Inevitably, this came at a cost to his personal life, but the job was what kept him feeling alive. As much as Elijah was essential to him, he could never be a surrogate for the job. He was proud to be... Monsoon Jackson. force detective. Nothing more nothing less. Unfortunately, the frontier land approach to policing could not last. Some were not as restrained as Monsoon, and the inevitable growth in litigation finally reigned the force in. The more enthusiastic detectives were let go before the trial dates, while those with some form of well-chosen evidence against them or made to take the brunt of public opinion. Of course, everyone was happy to be kept safe, but they felt, not unreasonably, it shouldn't be at the risk of being accidentally tortured or shot. The councils, with some reluctance, eventually got everyone back round the table to agree the rules. After several more years of petty squabbles and minor point scoring, the Solar Force was set to become a beacon of best behaviour and true justice. That was certainly what the overpaid minimal effort Public Relations Service promoted. Huge screens with smiling faces and pithy comments adorned every spaceport and shopping centre. Police officers were shown patrolling local neighbourhoods, patting family pets and holding babies. Detectives were shown arresting dastardly criminals. The sweat from their hard-working brow practically spelling out the word justice in beats. In reality, of course, little would change. Criminals were well aware trying to police an entire solar system was an impossible task, and they found every opportunity to exploit it. This meant the force had to carry on using their, what was kindly referred to as, traditional techniques against them. But with more subtlety this time, and regardless of how grey an area it became. Monsoon tried his best to work within the rules, and, for a while, being regulated, restored public faith a range of cleverly constructed graphs appeared to categorically prove how pleased the public were. Carefully edited comments and online opinions were woven into a catalogue of what a wonderful job the solar force were doing. That was, from Monsoon, until the Cluner family murder. Monsoon's years of experience immediately gave him a suspect. The Cluners were a moderately wealthy family who did regular jobs and took standard holidays with their children. It was only when Cluner Sr. had an issue with someone taking their port parking space that they'd moved out of their comfort zone. His decision to challenge would prove to be fatal. Monsoon had watched the feat. Cluner Sr. banging on the sealed exit ramp of the vast, luxury dark craft. Two large hosts, as they were known, Opening the ramp to talk to him, the hosts, which some others would call hooligans, forcibly walking cleaner senior away from the craft. His fool hardly struggle with them. The eventual intervention of his wife and children to drag him away, pointing at a gap further round the port. Then, next day, the family being found dead at home. It was hardly Sherlock to guess what happened. After all, the owner of the luxury craft was a spoilt rich kid. He could not stand the thought of anyone telling him what to do. His reaction, therefore, to arrest had given Monsoon a particular pleasure. Arrest during a party he was hosting for other high-profile wasters was, naturally, complete coincidence. But then, reality had got in the way. His powerful father had lent on his local council commissioner, and, with a rapid trickle down the chain, his son was soon released without charge. This was not the first time money had outweighed justice... But it was the first time Monsoon took a stand. The stand quickly led to him resigning from the force. For a while he was angry, unapproachable. But then, as always, Elijah had talked sense into him. He was a good force detective. Why not go it alone? After some further well-meaning nagging, Monsoon relented and accepted Elijah was right. And now, here he was. Monsoon Jackson. Space detective. Nothing more nothing less. You have been listening to Monsoon Jackson, created and written by Andy Case, for Leet Motif Productions Limited. The narrator, Monsoon Jackson, was voiced by Cameron K. McEwan. Other characters were voiced by Michelle Duncan and Cameron K. McEwan. The adverts were voiced by Heather Dent Cowan. Story, all names, characters and incidents portrayed in this production are fictitious. Copyright 2018.